Hi, this is a quick announcement. If you are a fan of the actual plays that have been on Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, you may not know that we've actually moved them, or at least we've, we'll be doing all new episodes, on a new podcast called Grizzly Peaks Radio. So please go and check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Make a move, adventures calling. Forest fires, cougars falling. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. God, I, I don't know where to start, really. It feels like it's been forever. It, it sort of has been forever. The last episode I put up was on the 5th of November, and that was from an interview with Mike Mason from probably a couple of weeks before that, and I can't even remember when my last ramble cast was. <clears throat> it's like, it's really hard. I was in a really good rhythm. I was podcasting every couple of days, you know, on the back of RPG a day a month. I was, you know, I was really knocking it out, knocking them out. And um, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the change of season. Maybe, I don't know, some other changes imminent. So I just stopped. I fell off the wagon. That's the totally wrong metaphor. Um, I fell onto the wagon. I tripped over and flopped onto the wagon. The wagon of abstinence. Um, But I'm back. Not for any particular reason either. Um, It's almost a year since I started Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. I started on the 10th of December 2019. And I remember I was um, just driving back from work or back from the station. And I think I recorded it through the built-in, like, microphone in my car. So it's absolutely terrible to listen to. And it's only about 10 minutes long. And I and in that 10 minutes, I think I make two major errors of attribution to um, basic D&D or to old school D&D. Um, <laughs> which uh, it's not bad for a, a 10 minute first, first shot. Since then I've made an infinite number of errors of attribution and slips of the tongue and, you know, slip of the wrist, slip of the hand, slate of hand, off the back of the wrist. And um, that's where, where this podcast comes from. It comes off the back of the wrist. But I've been gaming a lot. I've been, you know, I haven't, I haven't abandoned my hobby in any, in any way, shape or form. I, um, I did have a notion that I would reduce the number of games I was running just because it was getting to a kind of silly level. I think at one point I ran nine games in one week, which I will never do again. So 
I kind of cut down on my weeknight games, but somehow other games seem to just spring up. Um, I'm actually running three daytime games a week now, which is much better for me. I, I, I much prefer running games in the daytime. Um, and the only reason I can do that is I'm still not working. Um, that situation may change soon, but then I've thought that before. It's been a funny old year. It's been a really funny old year, and that's an understatement, isn't it? Um, I guess a lot's happened in the last month. Um, seems like there will be a new president in the country which has adopted me. Um, seems like. <laughs> but given this crazy year, who knows what's going to happen. Um, military coup, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. Trump's lawsuits all seem to be failing spectacularly, um, as as one would expect, given that he's got um, Rudy Giuliani leading his legal legal defence. But um, but who knows? Who knows? It's been a weird year. I stopped listening to a lot of RPG podcasts as well, um, and I would blame. I would actually blame Scott Dorwood. So, Scott, if you're listening, it's your fault. But very indirectly, okay? So, um, on the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a little while back, they um, they had a two-part conspiracy theories, um, kind of two episodes about conspiracy theories, which was fantastic. It was it was mainly, actually, Scott asking questions of, of one of their patrons. Um, I can't remember his name, but he was a... Very, um, very deeply immersed in researching, um, in a very objective way, of course, um, QAnon. Um, by um, sort of via Alex Jones, which brought to my attention a podca- podcast called Knowledge Fight, which is um, Dan and Jordan, these two, I guess, ex comedians. Um, American um, I think they live in I think they live in California Anyway, it doesn't matter um, two, ex, uh, two ex-comedians Who now who, who It seems like that is their full-time job now I don't, I don't know if they make money out of it They do a um, It's like a Analysis show <laughs> You know, like um, Match of the Day Football analysis But of Alex Jones's Infowars podcast or or youtube show well it was a youtube show he was banned he was banned from everything because um so for those of you that don't know alex jones is the guy that basically um was the loathsome spreader of of the um false flag sandy hook conspiracy theory um he got sued pretty rigorously for that and rightly so He's an awful person. He's an awful, awful person. Uh, also very, um, very much tied up in the Pizzagate thing as well. I think guests of his were propo- proponents of that insane theory. Um, he's, his, his show is, is just luna- lunacy, lunatic conspiracy theories wrapped up in a white nationalist religious zealotry um you know right wing fanaticism but 
he's entertaining, okay? So, he's a showman. I don't think he actually believes any of the stuff he talks about. But he's made a lot of money out of it. Or he did, until he was banned. Um, You can still find his stuff out there in places, but... It was a pretty interesting move by YouTube and by pretty much all the other social media, big social media platforms to ban him because that's the first step towards censorship of social media content. Now, I think there's some very specific reasons why he was banned, you know, hate speech and inciting violence and causing harm. You know, he's more than just and a lunatic commentator. He, he has actually instigated violence on, on, as a result of the content he's put out. You know, that guy went to Comet Pizza in Washington, I think it was, and, you know, wanted to see where all the paedophiles were in the basement, apparently. Paedophile ring in the basement run by Hillary, Hillary Clinton. That's the level of stuff we're dealing with here. It's a bit hard to avoid politics at the moment. We're in such a crazy moment. This, the narratives, the, the conflicting and insanely diametrically opposed narratives going on right now between what, what, objectively speaking, one would say reality on one hand and complete fantasy on the other is, is almost bewildering. And we've got... Of course, there's recency bias. And and by that, I mean, it seems like this is crazier than anything's ever been. But I guess you could tell that to the the women burnt at the stake during the Salem witch trials, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think there's always been this madness. Um, This fight between reality and, and fiction. One likes to think one is on the side of reality, but who knows? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if this isn't reality, the reality posited by these fantasists is not reality either, but maybe there's something else. I have no idea where I'm going with this, as usual, but Scott, it's all your fault. I've stopped listening to gaming podcasts. Um, I have really started digging back into two Lovecraftian podcasts, which is great. Um, Voluminous, I think I mentioned this before, the HP Lovecraft Literary Society series on, which goes into a lot of analytical detail about all the Lovecraft letters, the collected letters, which are, as, as you know, there are hundreds of thousands of them in, in many different collections. And um, and also the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. That is something that I'd stopped listening to, but I've gone back and I've actually started re-listening to it because it is superb. I think it's one of the... It's one of, if not the best Lovecraft podcast out there, the um, HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. They're the two hosts. Um, i trying to remember their names. Can't. Um they do these deep dives into each of the Lovecraft stories, sometimes over multiple episodes, and it's, it's truly fantastic. They've been going for 
about 11 years now. Um, really wonderful stuff, highly recommended. Um, and then the other thing I got into, again, this is all Scott's fault. Stop putting these good people on your podcast, Scott. Is a Scottish podcast. A Scottish podcast. Check it out. Um, it's it's kind of almost indescribable. It's like this comedy Lovecraftian radio play horror horror comedy Lovecraftian. Um, it's like it's like if you cross Call of Cthulhu with Train Spotting, basically. I, I guess that's how I would describe it. Um, with with quite a heavy dash of Ian Banks thrown in. Um, it's really good. I think the the um, the guy that writes it describes the main characters as, as more like more inspired by Roger Melly from Viz. But um, for me, it's got this um, Irvin Welsh Ian Banks thing to it. it. It's really really well done and hugely entertaining and kind of scary at points and very funny and very rude. A Scottish podcast. Check it out. Great stuff. Yeah, but what have I been doing, apart from listening, apart from waiting for the next thing? Hmm, well, I guess I'll tell you. And what game could we be starting with except Call of Cthulhu and, of course, Masks of Nihilathotep? Now, you may be absolutely sick and tired of hearing me talk about masks, um... Actually, that that series of pre- preparing for Epic, which is all about my preparation of masks um, in four parts or five, I can't remember. Um, that was very popular. People really seemed to like it. In fact, I think there might even be a voicemail or two about it that I'll stick at the end. Um, the one thing I never really talked about, <laughs> bizarrely was my <laughs> it sounds a bit weird was my actual prep <laughs> i talked about it in a in a fairly structural way about how the books help you to prep but what do i actually do um and and i think what really occurred to me is is that beyond just beyond reading and the material like i've said and really thinking about it thinking about how it's all going to play out the majority of the prep is actually digital it's roll 20 prep um i in the last several months you know pretty much since since covid i've really upped my game on on what i'm doing with the with roll 20 um, as as someone that has spent his whole life dealing with visual stuff, being a designer, and prior to that, pretending to be an artist, that didn't last very long. Um, you know, I really need that visual stimulus for myself, but also I, I like presenting it to the players. So I spend a lot of time preparing the visual materials. But what I've really upped my game on is preparing the auditory, the audial, the audial, the audio. I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> um, the sounds. 
So um, that takes a lot of time. That takes a hell of a lot of time. Um, I believe I was just listening to... Actually, it was Paul Fricker, but it wasn't um, on Good Friends of Jackson Elias. He was on a recent Grognard Files, and they were talking about music in-game and, and using music in, in your sessions and, and how it's impossible to to get it right. You know, you you can have these jarring juxtapositions and, and everything can be a real, you know, hodgepodge. And, and that, I think that's true if you're just playing songs. Although... Ironically, my D and D players were always amazed at the at the um, happy accidents that used to happen when I played um, my D and D playlist, which was um, various kind of classic fantasy music and um, uh, Midnight Syndicate. Midnight Syndicate are a I'm not sure who they are, but they they make a lot of music that is very appropriate for fantasy gaming, and so the, the, it, it seemed to just work. I don't know, got lucky, whatever. But since running masks, I have and there's two things that's happened. Two things that's happened, um, uh, and I'll I'll talk about the visual stuff in a minute. But the the audio stuff is, is has been the most interesting to me because it's two things coincide. One was starting this podcast but actually doing the actual plays and two uh, was finding out and buying the sirenscape um i guess they're called soundboards i think that's what they're called soundboards that that were designed specifically for mass of nihilathotep i guess in conjunction with chaosium because they got a lot of uh, of the of the chaosium copyright material there and uh, if you don't know what Sirenscape is, they are a group of people, very good audio engineers, that um, and audio editors that that um, create these, in a lot of cases, generic soundscapes for various games, um, science fiction, fantasy, horror, etc. But then they also do specific ones for for various properties and it clearly takes them a long long time to put these custom ones together these these licensed ones together because they've uh, they haven't even released the final um chapter of of master nalathotep yet the i think they released the first one probably two years ago it takes them a few months to do each one because they really put an immense amount of effort in it's it's quite staggering um so each chapter will probably have well i i i dread to think they will they will have maybe a hundred different sound clips music clips sound effects spooky spooky ambient music um uh, everything you can imagine Hun- more than a hundred hundreds probably each chapter and then each chapter is broken down into the various locations and then each location will have like specific tar- moments where you can just press a button and you get the perfect mix of of music and and sound effects and and spot sounds and you know, you you got a, de- a soundboard where you can just fire a gun, or you can have a scream, or you know, it's 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 brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The interface is garbage. <laughs> the interface is really really bad. They really need to make it slicker. But the sounds themselves are so good. 
so beautifully put together, so spot on for the theme. And you're meant to use them, uh, you know, around the table. You, you, you have your computer or your phone, um, you know, plugged into a speaker and you hit the button. Now, I did start using them around the table. But even though, even though uh, they're there, customised and ready to go, I would often forget to play them because you're in the moment and, and, and you're not really... You're having to switch from looking at your players to looking at the computer and it's a bit of a mess, really. Um, but when you're using the computer to actually interface with your players, then it's not so much of a big deal. Or at least... I thought it wasn't. Turns out there is no integration between Sirenscape and Roll20. Or maybe there is, but it involves you actually doing some coding. And I was like, no, fuck that. I, I'm not going to even try. But I did a sort of a hack. Possibly an illegal hack. Um, I got a piece of software that allows you to record any sound being played on your computer... And so I would go in to the chapter that we were about to play and one by one I would play five to ten minutes of each um, soundscape and as I said, dozens and dozens and dozens of these. Um, Not each individual sound, that would be insanity because that would be hundreds. But, um, you know, each you know, there might be there might be 56 actually there could be nearly 100 I don't know there's a lot probably around 50 Um, and you know you press play and some of them loop on you know a 20 second interval others loop on a 4 minute interval um, depending on what it is it could be a song it could be screaming and there would be there would be gaps in between the the screams it wouldn't be just constant screaming it was done very well but you know you'd have to play it for at least five minutes to get a single you know playthrough some of them would actually be much longer because there would be music and it would have a like a roster a playlist of different songs so it would play different songs so you'd get the first go round four minutes playing song a then it would play all the sound effects again but you'd get the different song so in that case i might be playing for 15 minutes so do the maths you can imagine how long this took i would um turn on my audio grabber i would play the soundscape i would record it and that would take 10 minutes for each one then i would have this music clip the soundscape as an mp3 file and i'd upload that to roll 20 and then i would arrange it all in roll 20 in in that game (laughs) Um, i'd have to of course categorize them put them in folders because you don't want a list of hundreds of different songs you need to have some organization there and then they'll be ready to go and ready to play to my um from me injected straight into my loving players ears and i i think it made a huge difference to our sense of place and time and immersion and 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 excitement you know when you kick in from this ambient sound to it to a combat sound um soundscape i think it's really cool to be honest i haven't really asked my players if they think it's cool i hope they do i i I, you know I, i think it's worth the effort and of course it has a secondary benefit is that i've now got these perfectly um 
customised sound beds to use in the actual plays as well. So, you know, I do get a little bit of extra value out of it. And somewhere in my tiny little lizard brain, I'm thinking, now I've put all this effort in. Next time I run masks, it'll all be ready to go. And then I think, you idiot. (laughs) You think you're ever going to run masks again? I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But to actually, now I know how long it takes and how much work it is and how intense it is, maybe I, I, I wouldn't try it again. I think in my naivety, I managed to somehow persuade these six people to come along for this insane ride. And, uh, well, yeah, I'm not sure I could be so um, innocent next time I, I, I say, hey, do you want to start a game? <laughs> yeah. And then finally, there's the, the visuals, the pictures. Now, another reason why Master of Nile Athotep is the greatest campaign ever written, TM. You know, I say that just to wind you up. <laughs> I'm sure uh, I, my, my knowledge of great campaigns is so, sorely limited, but um, I would actually find it hard to imagine a campaign that has this amount of collateral that has this amount of stuff that has this amount of love that has this amount of versions additions that's been played so continuously by so many call of cthulhu groups for so long um i I can't think i can't think of another one i mean uh, possibly against the giants might have been played as much but I don't think people are still playing against the Giants, or, or not not as much. Obviously, there was the re-release in Yawning Portal, um, and I, I've run it, and it, I, I love against the Giants. But uh, in fact, the whole, um, uh, you know, what's it called? Queen of the what against the Dread? I can't. What, what you know? T one Village of Homlet, and then um, I guess Temple of Elemental Evil, and then against the Giants, and then. And then um, the drow, um, and then Q1, Queen of the Demon Web Pits. Um, but it's kind of cobbled together. <laughs> it's a real stitch job. Um, you can you can weave it together, and and it's got great stuff in it, um, epochal, iconic stuff in it. But nothing, to my mind, is as kind of all embracing all encompassing all consuming as masks it it really and over the, that series I, I did explain why but um the thing that really makes it stand out for me is the unbelievable quality of the handouts of the visuals now you with the pdf of the current version you get this fantastic digitized handouts pack um you also get it as as printed sheets if you if you are still doing that archaic thing of playing around the table, um, but you also have the digital um, versions of them. These high high quality um, uh, digital um, versions of all all the handouts, all the maps. You got player maps as well as GM maps. So obviously the player maps that don't have any um, any information on that's going to give the game away. You have them for all the major locations. You have all of the props, all of the newspaper clippings, all of the handouts, all of the matchboxes, all of the um, uh, all of the um, excerpts from 
eldritch texts. Um, you have images of all of the, the bizarre objects that they're likely to find. Um, you have an immense set of character portraits for all the NPCs. Um, it's it's mind-bogglingly um, comprehensive and complete. Minus the fact that there's no... Um, room numbers on the maps. As I found out from Mike Mason, this was not a deliberate artistic choice. <laughs> this was just um, editing. <laughs> I, I, he said it was it was the order in which they made it. I, I think they, they probably left it. Anyway, Mike's probably going to rag on me for that. But either way, maybe next time. Maybe in, maybe in the sixth edition they can put the numbers in the maps. Um, but beyond all that, beyond all that, there is also from those marvellous people at the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, there is the deluxe and the super deluxe prop set. And I've probably talked about this before. This is a thing of wonder. This is a thing of marvel. This, this gave me so much joy when I unpacked it. It is like opening your own treasure chest. Um, the only thing I think that's comparable is the Dracula dossier that comes with a suitcase full of um, equally gorgeous props but there's not much else like this out there and and especially the super deluxe version when you actually get sculptures of the uh, of the uh, Cthulhu of the Cthulhu deities <laughs> the ones that you find and and um, oh, it's just just immense you get a real matchbox for the for the matchbook from the stumbling tiger bar in shanghai you actually get a real matchbox with matches in it (laughs) you get a chinese scroll um it's this fabric scroll on these wooden you know separator things that you unroll and it's all in chinese (laughs) it's all in mandarin so you don't even know what it says but it's there and it's gorgeous it's gorgeous um you get um this little wax cylinder case this edaphone i think it's called and of course inside you don't have a wax cylinder you've got a um wooden usb key with with these you know uh these audio testimonies these 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 voice recordings of various key testimonies from npcs in the game I'm getting onto audio again, but let's go back to the visuals. The visual stuff that's in this box is amazing, and and it made me weep actually a little bit when we had to go virtual because I could no longer hand these things out. The newspaper clippings are on real newsprint, and they've got real articles, other articles on the back, which are all written by by the creators of this. They're all witty little stories that sort of tie in but don't really, and and just the amount of effort that went into it and of course it was really sad that I could no longer use this so of course what do I do as well as uploading the digital versions that come with the box set or the slipcase set I uh, I of course then had to photograph and scan in all these amazing things so I now have this very very comprehensive set of digitized handouts to give to my players during Roll20 plus all the player maps plus I then spent a lot of time, because I want to do this stuff, sourcing era-appropriate photography of the places they're going to, of Lesser Edale, of um, Central London, of um, the the Bent Pyramid um, at Darshur. Oh, there's a lovely young deer looking at me. 
it's just it's really giving me the eyeballs it's a it's a male it's a buck it's a young buck small horns i, I think i'm is this the right time for a young bucks to be around it's december isn't it beautiful thing full of ticks anyway um so yeah i really i i go that extra mile i i want to i want to show them what the old city in cairo looks like i i want them to be immersed i want them to see what the city of the dead is i want them to see what it's like to be on the masai um on the serengeti um the masai mara um in kenya and uh yeah um I think it's it's added immensely. It is a huge amount of work, as I've said again. <laughs> you know, Roll Twenty is a is a crappy interface in a lot of ways um, for uploading stuff. It it's it's just cranky, really, and you have to kind of you have to coax it gently into doing what you want it to do. But you know, I think it's worth it. It's it's hugely enhanced my experience, and I and I'm pretty sure it's enhanced their experience. And in the final segment. I'm going to tell you how poor old Sid lost another character. Oh dear, I've got and done it again, haven't I? Well, let's say <clears throat> she didn't die, okay? Um, so Sid, for those of you that may or may not know, um, is one of my um, players one of my young players who has been an amazing player actually for the last year and a bit, year and two months um, in masks. And she had this character, Cole, a hard-boiled New York private detective. And he was the first to die, or rather he was the first to go um, permanently insane. And yeah, there's a whole load of episodes about it um, in this podcast, uh, um, it was rough. It was it was intense. It was emotional. So she made a new character, uh, a great new character, Alice, um, who is a British spy, ex-soldier, and spy and sniper, and many other things. Um, and she joined the group, and there was an amazing dynamic there. Actually, she was uh, not a very warm character, not a very friendly character. Um, she was actually sent to spy on the group by the British Secret Service because uh, word had got back that they were poking their noses into some weird things. So she was a, she, she was a really interesting character and um, the dynamic was very interesting because obviously it's the classic, um, you know, going from hate to grudging respect to to friendship to, well you know the classic buddy buddy the buddy movie uh, arc but with with five characters to play with she never did get to like jack the scottish um gangster um there was too much too many bridges to cross to make that one into friendship although now it seems like there will be and that's because of what happened two sessions ago um what am I talking about? It wasn't two sessions ago. It was the last session. Gosh. Uh, yeah, because we haven't played in, in, in a week. We, we went away for Thanksgiving and then we didn't play that week. And then, yeah, it was Sunday. So they just escaped from this burning building. Um, the building had been set on fire by uh, 
fire vampires, these flaming monstrosities summoned by Tan Kaur, Tan Kaur, this uh, small tubby Indian lady who also happened to be an evil um, wizard. <clears throat> anyway, they escaped just. I mean, they got some pretty bad burns. This is the second time they've been to Tower Five Vampires. They, they'd already been to Tankur's uh, tea shop. She sells oolong out of a small shop in the, uh, in the um, Asian quarter of Nairobi. They knew she was bad news all round. And, uh, yeah, they came out of the building, and there she was standing on the roof of a building about, you know, a couple of hundred yards away, um, grinning malevolently at them, ducks behind a chimney. They rush to um, confront her, to shoot her, to kill her, to get her out of their lives. Um, and due to the speed at which Alice and a couple of the other characters were running, they, they got ahead of the other group. They started climbing, and they climbed on top of a cart and boosted up onto the building um, next to the building, the roof that this Tancor woman was on, and started firing at her. It wasn't very easy. She was hiding behind a chimney. She she always had a pulp uh, villain talent. She could shrug off damage, so she was just getting grazed. Little did they know she was preparing this horrible spell to cast at one of them. As it turned out, there were three of them who were potentially there that were in range by the time the spell was ready. And I rolled a dice, and goddamn if it wasn't Sid. <laughs> um, the way spells, offensive spells work in Call of Cthulhu is that you make an opposed power roll. Alice did not have a lot of power, only 60 powers. It's okay, it's not great. Tankur had a lot more. She rolled a hard success. Sid rolled, just squeaked a normal success. She had the chance, but she would have had to spend almost all her luck. And I, I gave her the option. I, I, I gave her the option. <laughs> she decided not to. Probably assuming quite rightly it was just going to be some damage, but no, it wasn't damage. It's this horrible, horrible spell called Strike Blind which basically melts your eyeballs and they drip down your face as you scream in agony and are then permanently blinded. It's awful. <laughs> it, was, it was the only offensive spell she had apart from summoning these fire vampires and she'd kind of used all that up. This was her kind of fanatical last-ditch attempt to kill one of the players or to permanently cripple them, and she did it. So Sid is now blind, um, and she's very upset. I mean, one, I rolled a dice to see which one it would attack. It was her. She she didn't roll well on the power roll, and she decided not to spend the luck. And, I mean, frankly, Tankur, she had luck as well. It probably wouldn't have made any difference. She could have spent it as well. So, yeah. Everyone was, I think, was a bit shocked that it just happened again. And, I mean, she's still a usable character in some ways, but she's a fucking sniper. She was. I mean, losing her eyes is, is just, yeah, pretty devastating for her. And, and we're, we're grappling now, or rather Sid is, and the other players, I think, you know, does she want to carry on playing with a blind character? 
there's a lot of things she won't be able to do. I mean, or won't be able to do at all. There's some, you know, combat is going to be very difficult. Shooting a gun when you're blind, I mean, come on. But, you know, these are pulp heroes. Maybe the trauma will, you know, trigger this new, you know, these these other senses in her. I mean, that's a, that's a possibility. I, I think that would be kind of cool. But she will not be the same person. And uh, I think that's the, the thing that got to Sid. But anyway, um, Kenya so far has been great. It's been great fun. Um, I've sort of tried light accents, um, trying not to be um, in any way reductive about these fascinating characters. They, they, you know, Johnson Kenyatta and Sam Mariga and Old Bundari and and all these amazing, amazing set of characters who who just deserve a lot of thought in how you present them to the players um it's a remarkably short chat it's it, it's not short in page length but but actually it's it's short it's going to run short it's not going to be as, as long as the other chapters i'm pretty sure about that but let's see how it goes they already know where they need to go they already know what they need to do i think they're scared but well that's all part of it isn't it they've got to overcome their fear head to the mountain of the black wind Face down in Weru, who makes Tankur look like a walk in the park. See you next time. It's a game we're role playing. I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes. Smell your